You're listening to the Learn Like a CPA podcast, where we talk about all things real estate, tax strategy, and personal finance. Whether you're a real estate investor looking to scale your portfolio, or you're an individual wanting to take your financial freedom journey to the next level, this is a podcast for you. Welcome back to the Learn Like a CPA show. My name is Peter. I'm the producer for the show. And Ryan and I are so incredibly excited to give you guys free access to this exclusive presentation that Ryan gave at the Build STR Wealth Conference down in Nashville. Ryan talked about a lot of topics, but he really dove deep on short-term rental taxes. So if you're a short-term rental investor, if that's something that you're thinking about getting into, then the next 49 minutes are going to be incredibly well spent listening to this podcast. So without further ado, let's get into it. This gentleman is like an MIT whiz kid. I had the pleasure of meeting him probably about nine months ago. Um, he's 24 years old, he, he owns a laundromat, he's invested into a salon, um, he's got a couple of STRs, he's got one in Maggie Valley, he used to work for Deloitte in Chicago, and in my opinion, he is the absolute freaking man when it comes to taxes. You wanna understand cost segregation, how you can buy a million dollar property and get it for free, 12 months later, section 179, all the depreciation that we can do. Listen to this 24-year-old. You ready? Yeah. All right, without further ado, Mr. Ryan Bakey. So before I get started, I want to thank Bill and Mike for putting this event on. I want to thank all of you for coming. I want to thank the staff workers here at the Wild Horse Saloon. I want to thank our military, our first responders, our nurses, our healthcare professionals for doing the job that they do so that we can relax and do what we like to do. So shout out to them and let's get started, right? So today I'm going to teach you guys a little bit about building wealth using the tax code. And it's not just short-term rental wealth, but this is wealth in general through real estate, being an entrepreneur, and owning your business, right? So to, let's get started. So everybody knows this sentence, finish and repeat after me. In this world, nothing is certain except... Benjamin Franklin said that like 4,000 years ago when he founded this country, right? And it still holds true today, hundreds of years later. Now, I can't promise you eternal life. Maybe there's a healthcare professional in here that might have the cure to cancer one day, or maybe Elon Musk might be able to figure it out. But I wanna help you save money on taxes. Everybody in this room, no matter what background we're from, where we're from, what do we do for a living, what real estate we invest in, if we're arbitrage, co-hosting, multifamily, short-term rental, you name it, we all share one common trait. And that's our largest expense every year is what? We pay more in taxes than we do for food, housing, clothing, shelter, you name it. We pay more in taxes a year than those items, right? And as an entrepreneur and a business owner, we have to figure out 
Well, how do we go to mitigate that? So a little background on myself. I graduated college with an accounting and finance degree. I went to work at a big four consulting firm. So I worked at Deloitte for about a year and a half. And I was working there and I had this epiphany. I was already helping people who were rich and wealthy, hundreds of million dollar net worth. I was helping them become even more rich and wealthy. And I had this self-realization with myself that I wanted to help the average Joe, the everyday person build wealth for them and their family so that they can leave a legacy and expand on their family tree. Because I've had conversations this weekend with people, it only takes one person in your family to change your family tree. After that one person, you open up the doors to financial freedom. It only takes one person, and everybody in this room should be that person for their family, right? So now what I do is I'm a certified public accountant in the state of Illinois. We serve uh, real estate investors nationwide. So don't feel like you have to work with somebody that's in your state. You can work nationwide. Um, currently invest in multifamily homes in southwest suburbs of Chicago. I'm into short-term rentals and other passive forms of income, just creating cash flow. My calling today is that I help real estate investors boost ROI using the tax code. And my light bulb moment in real estate came when I was 18 years old working at my first CPA firm. I had two tax returns on my desk that day. One was a married couple making about 250 grand. They were just W-2 employees, run-of-the-mill W-2 employees. And I had one tax return with a guy who owned about 18 apartment buildings in Chicago, okay? He made $400,000 in cash flow from his 18 uh, unit apartment buildings, and he was single. He paid less in taxes than the married couple who made half of what he did. So he's single in a higher tax bracket, makes double what they make, yet he's paying less in taxes or no taxes at all. And I asked my boss, I go, well, how is this possible? Like, what is he doing here? What's going on? And the one sentence that changed my life and hopefully many others' lives forever is, it's because he invests in real estate. One sentence, that was it, mic drop. And I've spent the last six or seven years trying to understand exactly how this guy was able to do that and, and pull that off. So uh, like TJ earlier had a disclaimer, I also have a disclaimer for insurance purposes. So this is like the legal uh, mean Ryan, but then I'm gonna come out later, you know, the friendly Ryan, but material is prepared for informational purposes only and is not intended to be provide and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, and accounting team. All right, enough of that. So, outline of topics today, we're just gonna talk about everything real estate. So if you're in arbitrage, co-hosting, if you own multifamily, long-term rentals, short-term rentals, we're gonna to try to cover it a little bit today. We're gonna to talk about how do we use the tax code to help us build wealth? What type of expenses can we deduct in our business, right? How does depreciation and owning assets and leveraging our cash, using the bank's money, using other people's money, private money, hard money lenders, how do we use that to build our wealth, right? What are some of the benefits of doing a cost segregation study? Uh, how do I hold my short-term rentals as far as entity structure goes? And we'll talk about the name of the game when it comes to tax strategy is how do I defer income as long as possible, right? If I have a dollar today from a sale of a property or rental cash flow, 
refinance, whatever it is, how do I push that transaction off legally, legally, as long as possible, so that way I don't have to pay taxes on it? So then I can use that money that I would have paid Uncle Sam and reinvest that in my business or my real estate or my whatever entrepreneur journey that I have. We're gonna talk about accelerating expenses, okay? So if we wanna defer income as long as possible, push that income down, but we have an expense that we come out of pocket for, we wanna be able to accelerate that, speed that up, take it right now, because time value of money says, a dollar today that we can reinvest in our business is worth more than having that dollar in the future. So this is the epiphany to wealth building. This is the wealth building cheat code in one slide. Every single dollar that you earn gets lumped into two different buckets. It's either earned slash active income or it's passive income, okay? The passive income doesn't have to be through real estate, but it could be through, uh, you, maybe you own a laundromat, you own a syndication, you're in hair salon as a passive investor. So there's many ways to become passive other than owning real estate. But this is a wealth building cheat code because with earned income, so think your W-2, how many people still work at W-2? A lot, right? So with a W-2, there's limited ways that you, of what you can do to reduce your tax obligation, right? We got retirement accounts, FA, FSAs, HSAs, and quite frankly, just have more babies. That's all you can do. <laughs> if you're just a W-2, that's all you can do from a tax perspective to mitigate that, right? And also, when you're a W-2, you look at your pay stub. It's got one line that says social security tax, and it's got one line that says Medicare tax. If you're an employee in your business, you pay 7.65. If you're, an, I'm sorry, if you're an employee in a business, you pay 7.65. If you're self-employed, you're paying both ends. How many people are self-employed? Who likes paying self-employment tax? Not me. I call that the F word. Not, not the F word you're thinking about, but it's called FICA tax. So it's a working man or woman tax. If you earn a wage by working with your hands, doesn't matter what you're doing. CPA, I have FICA tax. I have Social Security and Medicare tax. And lastly, it's ordinary income. So it's taxed at the highest rates, up to 37% on a federal level, which could change uh, pretty soon here. But we come on the other side of the bucket, okay? This is the other side. This is where true wealth is built. With passive income, you have the ability to offset it with expenses, or other passive losses. And this is a really cool thing because all real estate, all the real estate that you own, it doesn't matter if it's long-term rentals, short-term rentals, multifamily, maybe you're in syndication deals, it all kind of gets lumped together. And so what we see a lot is we have people who start with long-term rentals. So I started with long-term rentals. They're cash flow and they're doing well. And I'm like, hey, this kind of sucks. I'm only getting $600 a month a door when I could be getting two or $3,000 a month doing short-term rental. So then I go buy a short-term rental. Well, I'm able to use any sort of losses that I generate from my short-term rental investment to offset my multifamily that I have. So it's almost like a game of dominoes where you're knocking down one deal and you're taking the tax savings, the, the money that you're saving by either offsetting other properties, right? And you're rolling it into the next deal. So it creates this snowball effect, if you will, of just immense wealth building strategy. The second point is, 
passive income, there's no FICA tax. So immediately, every single dollar that you make in rental income or a capital gain sale, right? You sell your house. You do not have to pay FICA tax, which is that, that working man or woman tax that I talk about. So right away, every single dollar that you make in real estate, you're saving money on taxes that way. And the third bullet point, appreciation. So as our assets go up in value, right, we're not taxed. There's no, there's no tax on as they go up in value. Sure, we have property tax, right, and maybe some local tax, but as our assets go up in value, we're able to do things like borrow against them, right? Not a taxable event. If we do end up selling those assets, they're gonna be taxed at long-term capital gains rates, zero, 15, or 20, depending on your tax bracket. Most people fall in the 15% range. But that's a lot cheaper, that's a lot less than the 37% that you could be paying if you're in the top tax bracket. And I put this quote at the bottom here, uh, Robert Kiyosaki, I think TJ mentioned him earlier. I got mixed feelings, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad many times, I've given the book to other people. He's like trying to sell silver now, I always see him on like, whenever I'm watching football or sports, he's like trying to sell me silver, I'm like dude, silver does not cash flow, I don't want any of that. <laughs> so, hopefully he watches this or something, he stops selling silver, but. He's right though, so if you look at any rich or wealthy person's tax return, they don't have any line one for W-2 wages. They don't have any wages that they're paying self-employment tax on or FICA tax, just straight up giving money to the government. All their income is on the passive bucket, whether it's through real estate or owning businesses, being an entrepreneur. Rich and wealthy people know how to play the game, and you can too, right? Whether you have two doors or 20 doors, it doesn't matter you can learn how to use the tax code to your advantage. And what you'll understand is that rich and wealthy people, they own assets. They use their earned income on the left side, dump it into passive income through real estate or other investments, and that's how they build wealth. Everybody's played Monopoly before, right? Raise your hand. Imagine playing Monopoly, and you just go around the board and, collect, and pass go and collect 200 bucks but you never buy any houses, what happens in the game of Monopoly? You lose. It's the same thing in life. If you just, if you just pass go, collect your $200 every year, every, every two years, and you're not buying any assets, you're gonna lose in the game of life, wealth building, right? So this is, this is a pretty fun part. So as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as an investor, we have to understand what our after-tax cost is. And I have the board, hopefully everybody can see them. I have the board up here. And this is what we're getting as an incentive to the government because here's the thing about real estate. Real estate blesses everybody. We have agents involved, title companies involved, attorneys are involved, accountants are involved, everybody's involved, guests get to stay at our property, there's contractors, there's cleaners, Real estate blesses everybody, and the government understands that. And they wanna give us tax incentives to buying real estate and owning our business. And the way to understand this is, you look at where your income is, whether you're single, married, head of household, and that's gonna be what's called your coupon rate. So, we'll use my example, I'm single. Uh, actually, I'm recently engaged to my fiance, Vanessa, she's over there in the stands. All right, and, but I'm still single and I'm in a 35% tax bracket. So the government says, hey Ryan, here's a 35% coupon for you to go and invest in your business, in your employees, in your real estate, because they know that business, entrepreneurship, creates jobs, real estate, 
houses for people to live in and you're blessing other people, so the government wants to bless you a little too. And if you know how to play the game, they're gonna bless you a lot. So some of the expenses that are deductible, these are not all inclusive, there's much, much more, but these are a general understanding of like what you can deduct. So advertising fees, cleaning, utilities, insurance. The main one that I'll call out that you can't ever deduct is mortgage principal payment. So if you're paying down that mortgage, that's just you building equity in your property. So the government doesn't give you a tax deduction for that. But we'll talk about later on about exactly why that is when you go to refinance or cash out or do a HELOC. So you can never deduct a mortgage payment. But I'll say one thing that the most important expense for real estate owners is going to be what's called depreciation. And depreciation, if I had to sum it up in one sentence, it's like the eighth wonder of the world. It's like you buy a property and we know that real estate over time tends to go up in value, right? But the government, the IRS says, well, the value of that building, the structure that it's made out of, the couches inside, the millwork, the cabinets, the countertops, those are actually going down in value over time, right? As we own it, more wear and tear, the more guests we stay. Uh, and that's, that's what's nice about being in these communities with short-term rental owners. If you're 95% occupancy in your property, what does that mean? You're not charging enough, right? Whereas you could drop that occupancy down to say 80 and just charge more and you'd end up in the same spot with less turnover, right? And less people just in your house for shit to happen. For long-term rentals, we're depreciating them over 27 and a half years. For short-term rentals or commercial real estate, we're depreciating it over 39. And you can think of depreciation as tax-free cash. It's like a phantom expense that I don't have to come out of pocket for, but I get a deduction against my net operating income. And we'll kind of go through the numbers here. So this is just a, a standard deal uh, we'll say, let's just call it the Smoky Mountains maybe two years ago, one year ago, three years ago probably. Um, so here's an important piece. You cannot depreciate the land value, okay? And I tell all my investors this because when you're looking at areas where you want to buy in and if you're hunting for the tax benefits, you're not going to find it in areas where the land is worth a lot. So say like California or in Orlando. If the land, out of the purchase price, if the land's worth a lot, you're not gonna have as much depreciation from that because we cannot depreciate the land. What's nice actually about Tennessee, the Smoky Mountains, is the land is so, so less. It's like, I've never seen it more than 15% in the Smoky Mountains. So there's tons of depreciation that can be had um, where you buy property that have low property taxes, right? So in this example, we've got $80,000 gross revenue. Let's say our expenses are 60% of our revenue. So our net operating income is 32 grand, okay? So we would pay taxes. So here's Ryan, I'm in a 35% tax bracket. I'd be paying 10 grand on that. But with depreciation, I get this phantom expense that the government gives me. Uh, don't worry about it, your accountant will figure it out. But my taxable income goes down to 20,462 as opposed to 32,000. Right, so that, that alone probably saves me four grand a year. And so if we're running cash on cash numbers on a 25% down, including closing cost investment, my cash on cash is 26%. But remember what I talked about earlier, the, the name of the game is how do we speed up those expenses, right? How do we accelerate those deductions so we have more money to use to invest in our business, our real estate, our entrepreneurship journey? 
And that's where what's called a cost segregation study comes into play. And think about it as like uh, baking a cake. So there's different ingredients of a cake, right? You got the eggs, milk, the ingredients, the contents of the cake. And that's what a cost segregation study kind of does is it looks inside of the building and it breaks out all the components because they understand that, hey, not everything is the building structure. There's cabinets, furniture, couches. And with short-term rentals, there's a lot of furnishings inside. So there's tons of stuff inside short-term rentals that can be immediately written off when you go to place the asset into service. And so instead of depreciating that um, building over 39 years, you're able to speed that up. And typically, we'll see about anywhere between 20 to 25% of the building value that you're able to take in the first year. And so I have an example of that. So same deal, except on the right side, everybody can see it, we, we decided to speed up the depreciation. So instead of, instead of only 12,000 of depreciation, we get $112,000 of depreciation. So now we get to go to tell the government, hey, um, yeah, that $32,000 of net operating income I had, I actually had $112,000 of depreciation, so I don't owe you any taxes on the 32, and I actually have what's called a tax loss, or a taxable loss, net, net operating loss, whatever you want to call it. But remember, this is not a cash loss. This is all in the tax code, so it's not like we're losing money on this property, right? The depreciation is what the government allows us to do and accelerate that. Well, what can I do with that loss? Well, First off, I don't have to pay taxes on 32, so that saves me 10 grand right there, right, if I'm in a 35% tax bracket. But that $80,000 loss that I have left over, I can use that to offset other properties that I have. And we see this all the time. Somebody's three, four long-term rentals, and they're like, I hate this, the cash flow's not there, so I'm gonna go start buying short-term rentals. And then they use the short-term rental accelerated depreciation, use those losses to offset the taxes that they would have paid on the long-term rentals or their other properties before they got into short-term rentals. It's almost like in the Bible, like the robbing Peter to pay Paul analogy, right? Because you're, you're taking from this property, using those losses to offset the other property, and you kind of keep repeating the cycle. And one of the best benefits with short-term rentals especially, now you can't do this with long-term rentals or commercial property unless you're what's called as a, a real estate professional, and I got like four hours of training on that, so I can't cover that all here. But essentially, you're able to use that depreciation, if you qualify, use that to offset your W-2 income. So if we go back to that first slide, high W-2 earner, and you're looking to build wealth, and you're looking to get out of your job, and you want to scale, the best thing you can do is take your earned money and dump it into short-term rentals and use tax code to your advantage. Because that will get you to where you want to be quicker and faster than any other method of investing. And in this example, I'm able to take my 26% cash on cash and turn that into 48% cash on cash because I'm able to take the tax savings that I got by accelerating the depreciation in my property. And look what that does to, to cash flow, to cash on cash return. I'm able to take that extra 28 grand that I received and dump it into another rental property or my business, whatever I want to do with it. I'm able to, time value money says that dollar is worth more today invested than it will be in the future. And I can spend a ton of time talking about this too, but in order to qualify for a lot of the short-term rental benefits, first off, you have to own the property yourself. So arbitrage, co-hosters, I'm sorry, you're out, 
on this one. But people who actually own the real estate, they own the properties themselves, as long as the average guest stays seven days or less, it even rhymes too. The average guest stays seven days or less and you have to meet one of these seven tests. But basically it comes down to you have to be the one running your property day to day. You can't have a property manager, you can't have somebody that's running your operations, which actually bodes well for short-term rental owners because what do we know about property management companies? They wanna take like 25% sometimes and it kills cash flow, right? So we wanna manage them ourselves, create systems, processes in play to manage them ourselves, which also helps on the tax benefit side. Uh, cool. Uh, so entity structuring around STRs. And again, this is another slide that I could spend hours on hours in talking, but I wanna just sum it, I wanna numb it down to just two points. Now, when it comes to owning assets and entities, whether it's LLCs or corporations or this and that, here's the bottom line. Asking an attorney if you need an LLC is like asking a barber if you need a haircut. <laughs> what are they gonna say? Every single time, right? So if you're just getting started off, um, you know, and it's you know, a small purchase price, 300, you know, 300, 400, you may not need to go that LLC route because your cost of compliance gets a little bit higher because now you have to pay state fees, attorney fees, you have to pay more fees in general where you could have just gotten uh, the property in your personal name, right? Maybe using a 10% down secondary home and just have a really good personal umbrella policy. But nonetheless, um, no, no, no slander against lawyers or attorneys that are here, but real estate, any asset that goes up in value, any asset that goes up in value over time should only be held in single member LLCs, your personal name, or multi-member taxes partnerships. We don't want to hold any asset that goes up in value inside of S corporations or C corporations. Again, I could spend hours talking about that, but there's adverse tax consequences when it comes to owning assets, appreciating assets inside of corporate entities. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, however, if you're a wholesaler, anybody do wholesaling? She does wholesaling, wholesaling. Wholesale, how many fix and flip? How many people do fix and flips? A lot of people agents, brokers. If you're one of those uh, for your day job, you might want to consider an S corporation to save money on those self-employment tax. How many people have an S corporation? Oh wow, damn. So you, you probably know the workaround, right, to self-employment tax. And if you don't know, uh, I, have a, I have a podcast just on this. If you go on Spotify or Apple Music, it's just the Learn Like a CPA show. And I talk about this. If you own any sort of ordinary business activity, whether it is wholesaling, flipping, agents, it doesn't even have to be in real estate. I have my CPA firm as an S-Corp. You should look into it at least to help you save money on self-employment uh, taxes. And what I, what I meant to say earlier, I kind of got a, can I backtrack now? Okay, I can. So what was, what's funny is I met Bill, I think probably about 10 months ago now, nine months ago, and he invited me to speak in, was it Franklin or... It, may, it was Nashville at a hotel, but there's about 80, 85 people there last year. And I asked, I said, uh, how many people have heard of what a cost segregation study is? And out of like 90 people in the room, how many people raised their hand, John? It's like four. Just John. Just John. <laughs> and now, not even a year later, 
hundreds, thousands of people understand what it is, right? And I think that's just the power of um, social media, real estate, people bouncing ideas off each other, forming these like, like-minded networks of people that want to achieve greater, like want to do better for their families. And I just wanted to call that out because it was, hey, 2% of the entire audience here knows what I'm talking about, and that's a huge opportunity to help people, to explain to people and teach them how to build uh, massive amounts of wealth. So I'll keep going now after my slander. So we talked about um, the name of the game is how do you defer recognition of income as long as possible, right? And three common ideas or ways that you can actually defer your recognition of any sort of income is a cash out refinance or a HELOC, uh, 1031 exchange we'll talk about a little bit. And then the last one, which I personally think is the most slept on or most missed opportunity, is to just generate passive losses through new acquired ventures or new real estate. And we'll start with the, uh, so we'll start with the cash out refinance. So the cool thing about real estate is that we only had to put a certain amount of percent down, call it 20%, and the bank's gonna fund the rest, right? But as that asset goes up in value, as it appreciates, typically it's 3%, 2%, 3% per year, but recently it's been, how much in the Smoky Mountains has appreciation gone up? Who's doubled their money in the Smokies? Triple. Triple, right? And so then the question becomes, hey, I just tripled my investment on this property. How do I get my money out? How do I, move, how do I take that and roll it to the next deal? And cash out refinance or a HELOC is a way to do that. Um, you probably wouldn't want to do a cash out refi now because rates are probably way higher than two, three years ago. Two years ago even, one year even, um, three months. Yeah, I bought a, I bought a property, it was two, my personal was 2.8%. You're not getting that money now. Um, but a cash out refinance, a HELOC is a way to tap into that appreciated value, right? So if your property goes from 400,000 to a million, well, how do I get that money out of the property without having to trigger a taxable event? And TJ talked about it earlier. That's what the Burr method is built upon. It's forcing appreciation in that property, whether it's through uh, labor or just regular market appreciation. So there's really three types of appreciation, but we'll save that for a later day. That's really what the Burr method is. And what the IRS sees a loan as a non-taxable event. So you're able to buy a property, stage it, rehab it, stage it, provide value to that community, whether it's Orlando, Smoky Mountains, wherever you're investing at, and as that asset goes up in value, you're able to borrow against it. And when you borrow money, it's not a taxable event. So you're able to take that money and roll it into a new property. Um, the third perk is you get to maintain ownership in your property. So nothing's really changed, you've just taken that nest egg out, whether you're doing 75% LTV, 70%, nothing's changed, you still maintain ownership of the property, which is key. Because if you want to sell it, well, now you got a taxable event and you don't have a property anymore. So a cash out, refinance, or a HELOC is a great way to tap into that value without triggering a taxable event. Uh, so this one's interesting. Um, everybody's heard of a 1031 exchange? Everybody, I think? Everybody, right? So for those of you, anybody not have heard of a 1031 exchange? Okay. So like a 1031 exchange is um, back to monopoly, actually. It's like when you get those four green houses and then you trade up to your big red hotel, a monopoly. 
that's what a 1031 exchange is. It's like, you take your equity, you take your properties, and as long as you are rolling those into more property or assets, the government, again, real estate blesses everybody, and the government understands that. And so they want, to be, they want you to be able to take that money, as long as you're using it for real estate or entrepreneurship within real estate, to defer your tax bill. So back to that Smoky Mountain example where I buy a property for $500,000, and now it's worth a million dollars, and I want to sell it. Well, if I sell it outright, I have a tax bill. But if I roll that property into another property or more properties, it doesn't trigger a taxable event. Now, with the 1031 exchange, it's very important that you work with what's called a qualified intermediary. Um, it's, this is not your accountant, this is not your CPA. This is, some, this is a firm that specializes in these types of, of transactions. Uh, I will say the, the timing part of it is interesting because when real estate's appreciating like crazy, like we've seen it recently, a 1031 exchange can be very hard to implement because properties are just flying off the market left and right. And within the 1031 exchange, there's timing elements to it. You have to identify the property within 45 days of close, uh, of the first close, and then you have, to buy that prop you have to buy that property within 180 days. And if you're trying to do that in a seller's market where stuff's just flying, it could be very hard to implement the 1031 exchange. And if you're not key on where you're gonna be buying that replacement property, the second property, you could be left holding the bag, right? You could, you could sell your property, not find something to 1031 into, and then now you're stuck with a tax bill. So just keep in mind the timing of that event. But with this, this is like, I call this a, this is like a poor man's 1031 exchange. So if the 1031 exchange fails, we talked about it on the first slide that all real estate is passive, which means you can use losses from one property to offset the income from another property, okay? And so if my 1031 exchange fails, I can do something similar. I can still buy a new property, accelerate the depreciation on that, and use that to offset my 1031 exchange sales. So if your 1031 fails, it's not the end of the world. As long as you can uh, take that money, replenish it in your, in your real estate, again, the government understands that real estate blesses every single person, and they wanna give you incentives for that. And like I said, it's a poor man's 1031 because you, know, you don't have to 1031 exchange something. You could sell it outright, and then you're not pressed with a time window, 45 days, 180 days. You're just able to simply buy another property and use that loss, rob Peter to pay Paul, use the loss to offset some of the other properties. Uh, there's also like a lot of flexibility when it comes to this because you don't have to decide. It's not something you have to set in stone when you go to sell that first property. What happens is any sort of passive loss that you generate through real estate, it actually kind of gets put in this piggy bank. So if you're not able to use it, let's say the first year you buy the property, you're able to actually use it in the future years. And this is the most important form on your tax return, I will say by far. Um, so maybe you guys are pulling out your tax returns later today. But it's, it's form 8582. And it's normally attached to like the back end of your uh, statement. This has all your carry forward losses. And I might be speaking gibberish, but that form tells you how much losses you have in the bank that you can use to offset new property income. So for me, for example, I have carry forward losses from long-term rentals that I've bought that I'm able to use to offset new short-term rentals that I buy 
syndications that I'm invested in, any sorts of other passive activities. And what's cool about this strategy is I've, I've kind of dubbed it what's called stacking, is where you buy an investment, let's say it's a short-term rental, right? The first year, it's awesome. You're getting cash flow, you got your depreciation, your tax deductions, but then the second year, you're kind of left holding the bag because now you got an asset that's making you 100 grand a year, but you don't have as much expenses to offset it. Well, maybe think about investing into a syndication that's gonna do the same thing that you're doing, right? Cost segregation, bonus depreciation, and use that syndication loss to offset your rental income. So again, it all comes back to uh, using the tax savings to build wealth, reinvest it in your rental properties, and robbing Peter to pay Paul. I kinda like, I like that analogy. So some strategies to accelerate expenses. So we talked about tax building, uh, wealth building through the tax code is all about deferring income as long as possible. But if we have an expense, if we have to come out of pocket for something, we wanna be able to accelerate that and take it today. And the, the best one to do is bonus depreciation. The other idea is to prepay future expenses. And lastly, it's to uh, finance uh, large purchases. And we'll get into those a little bit. So with bonus depreciation, uh, there's minimal out-of-pocket costs because you've already bought that uh, building, you've already bought that truck or that SUV, whatever it is that you're using in your entrepreneurship or your business. Um, so sometimes there's minimal out-of-pocket costs to want to accelerate that appreciation. Um, and I will say 2022 is the last year that you will get 100% bonus depreciation because in 2023 it drops down to 80%. Uh, I'm hoping the government changes that, but it's not looking like it will be. But the government understands that if they do lower that, it's gonna disincentivize people to wanna do business, to wanna own property. So I could see them flipping that switch back pretty quickly, we'll see. Um, the second point of that is the cost benefit analysis. So if you work with a tax advisor, they're gonna tell you exactly how much you're actually gonna be able to save by purchasing that asset. Whether it's a building, a car, a truck for your business, they're gonna be able to pencil in based back to your marginal tax rate and tell you how much you're gonna get in tax savings. Those tax savings that you're able to get, again, you're able to reinvest in your business or your real estate. Prepay future expenses. Um, so this one's, this one's pretty cool because we're cash basis taxpayers, most of us, which means we get the deduction when we come out of pocket for something or we place the asset in the service. So I even did this last year where it's, it's November, it's December, it's sitting at the end of the year and I got taxable income. And a lot of us can do this for our short-term rentals. Like we know when we need to replace linens, like we know that they're about to come due. We know coffee filters, toiletries. We know when we need to replace that type of stuff. So think about towards the end of the year, November or December, hey, here's where my taxable income's at. I need some expenses. Well, why don't I go ahead and pay for January, February, March, April, right? Prepay cleaner, right? Hey, here's a check for you know, 50X for the first three months worth of cleans, right? Prepay future expenses because a dollar saved today is worth more than saving that dollar next year because you're able to use that dollar that you save in taxes, reinvest in your business. And what I like about this one the most is the flexibility. So if, you, if you're strapped for cash towards the end of the year, because this is something I tell every single investor is, we focus on income first. That's the main key. Income, cash flow, whatever you want to call it, 
That's step one. We focus on that. Then we worry about tax benefits. So go focus on making more money, not necessarily saving more money. Because at the end of the day, making more money and paying the tax, you're going to come out a lot further than if you're just trying to save money on taxes. So you're able to prepay your future expenses. So for me, I paid a lot of like social media, design. I paid uh, marketing stuff, advertisements, everything I was able to prepay for and get a deduction today. The last one that I like is financing purchases. So let's take a truck for example, right? Now, I can't buy a truck for my business because I run a 100% remote CPA firm. So I don't drive to any of my clients. So I don't have a business uh, need for a truck or a Tesla. Although I wish I did, because uh, it'd be sweet. But with financing purchases, you're able to put, just like real estate, 20% down on a truck. Right, let's take a $50,000 truck. I'm putting 10% down, or I'm putting 20% down, that's $10,000. But the truck's worth 50. And as long as I use that in my business and I meet the certain requirements, I'm able to take a $50,000 deduction, not a $20,000 deduction that I actually put into it. And that's the power of financing purchases because instead of having to come out of pocket for that 50 grand, I took out a loan. But I'm able to depreciate it right away, expense it right away, and pay that back over time. Tax deduction now, pay later. It's like those, uh, the, phone, the commercials on the radio or the TV where it's like, I need my money now, I wanna pay later. <laughs> yeah, JG Wentworth, 877, cash now. Um, oh, that's great. So we'll wrap it up with tax planning versus tax filing. A lot of people get this confused. Tax planning, is not March of the following year, a month before you're supposed to file. <laughs> Planning is during the year, before the year's over, before the year even starts sometimes. We're always trying to tax plan because planning is looking at what you're doing this year and what you can do to change that or make it better. So that way, come April 15th, when it comes to file taxes, you already know what's going on, you already have a plan in place. And somebody told me this before and it really resonates with me. Poor and middle income level people, they're stuck surprised come April 15th because they're surprised with the tax bill that they have to pay or they're surprised with how much they get back. But it's the rich and wealthy people that know exactly how much they're gonna have to pay or get back come April 15th, right? It's the rich and wealthy people that know exactly before the year's even over sometime how much they're gonna owe in taxes or how much they're gonna get back. And so you have to kind of decide like, do I want to be surprised with the tax bill April 15th or do I want to strategize so I can use that money instead to invest in my business or my real estate? So there's a huge difference between planning and filing. If you're not working with an accountant that's actually planning with you, you need to find somebody that's going to plan, uh, strategize with you. That's a big key with real estate investing is using those tax deductions that the government incentivizes us to use. Again, I'll, this is like the third time saying it, but real estate blesses everybody. There's so many people involved in every single real estate transaction, and we, the government incentivizes that, so they give us tax breaks for it. So simply, how to get in contact with me? I'm on all social media platforms. It's just uh, at learn like a CPA. Pretty catchy, I I've been using it. And then I have like a wait list 
But this is really just my, um, it, it's going to be an email thread that I'm, I'm coming out with in the next few weeks. It's just going to have tax tips. I got boot camps and courses coming up later this end of this year if you want to learn about tax strategy. Uh, if you want to pick my brain, I'll be, uh, Patrick's here somewhere, I forget where we're going to be at. I'll be, uh, yeah, where are we going? What is it? Redneck Rivera. If you want to pick my brain, come buy me a drink and I'll have any conversation you want. <laughs> All right, everybody, big round of applause for Ryan. I got time for three questions. Okay, yeah, question for you. The uh, Form 8582, for how many years can you hold over the piggy bank? So the 8582, it's property dependent, but it can be carried forward indefinitely. So let's say I buy a long-term rental my first year, that, that loss can be carried forward indefinitely until I either sell that rental or I have cash flow from other properties that I'm able to use to offset that. Right, so I could either use that loss to offset the sale of that long-term rental or I might be buying a short-term rental next year I can use that long-term rental loss to offset that new short-term rental income. So they, they carry forward indefinitely. All passive losses. So if you're in a syndication, you know, if you're a passive investor in a business, all passive losses will carry forward uh, indefinitely. Hey, thanks for your presentation. It was great. Uh, I, Lift I up wanna, the mic a little bit more. Lift up the yeah, mic. Yeah, I want to ask one question. So you talked a little bit about using losses from one property to offset gains in another property, but aren't the, tw aren't the different properties supposed to be treated as separate entities and you have carry forward losses each year? How do you use one loss from one property to offset a gain from another property? So his Hold question before was- you answer. Everybody in the back, please stop the conversations. Be respectful. Those people up here can't hear. Just until we're done with Q&A, please. So his question was, hey, I have a long-term rental, right, that has a loss, and I have a short-term rental that has income. Well, how do they offset each other? They all flush out on that 8582. So I have, I, have a, I have a loss coming from this activity, whether it's a long-term rental, syndication, commercial building, doesn't matter, and I got income coming from this property, they, they all wash out on that 8582 form. Awesome, one more. Hi, you mentioned syndication. I was just wondering if you could elaborate what that was. Uh, like the tax benefits of a syndication or investing in a syndication? syndication? Right here, one more. So a syndication is where um, you might not have the expertise or you might not have the time to go out and buy something yourself or invest in it, but you have the money, you have the capital, right? So a lot of uh, you know, doctors, lawyers, where they might not have the time to be buying real estate because they're so busy with their job, they're able to be a, a passive investor in a syndication. And that's where you typically will have a, a general partner who's going to be about a, a 70, 30% uh, owner, and then the rest are going to be syndication uh, LPs. So they're going to be people who don't have the experience or the time, but they have the capital. And they're going to be the ones fronting most of the deal. And you kind of just sit back and collect the cash flow and the tax benefits, but you're not actually involved in that, that, that opportunity or that, that building. So. It's a great way to earn money passively, um, but you're always going to earn more by running your own property than you will if you invest in a syndication. Well, that depends. That's debatable. No, I'm just kidding. And he said 30% to the GPs. You can join mine for 25. Last question. 
Hey, Ryan, quick question. So when you're integrating with, like, I'm really happy with my bookkeeper. I think he's done a really good job. I've had no tax planning at all. So do you find it particularly challenging if you're trying to integrate with a business's bookkeeper versus doing it, you know, all you, your team in-house? How do you typically work with that? It's better to have it all in one place because you get the data in real time. <laughs> so like if your account, if your bookkeeper has your books and you're also the person doing tax strategy has your books, it's a lot easier to make decisions because I have that data in real time. I can see it. Versus you have to ask your bookkeeper, hey, I need my P&L. And then you bring it to your tax advisor. Hey, here's a P&L, like what can we do? If you have it all in one place, that's perfect. But uh, if you know anything about entrepreneurship and business, uh, it's always, what is it? Quick, cheap, and rock star. You pick two, but you can't have all three. And odds are you're not gonna get all three in one place, right? So you're not gonna get bookkeeping and tax strategy. So like my firm, we do minimal bookkeeping. We're, we're heavily focused on tax strategy and compliance. But you can integrate them. If you have your stuff down together, hey, I need this quarterly P&L, bring it to your tax advisor. They're gonna help you make the decision. I wouldn't rely on your bookkeeper to help make the decision. Two right. completely different components. Are you taking on clients now? Yes, we are. You are taking on yeah. clients? Awesome. Yeah. One more round of applause for Ryan Bakey, everybody.